We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. We have a very special edition of the podcast today, signing day special, uh, day one of the early signing period for the 2022 class. And I'm joined by Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubin King. Uh, I call him Rube sometimes. Uh, how are we doing, Rube? <laughs> it's been a minute since I've been asked that question on a stream. I've been doing good. Uh, it's super exciting to see some of these guys uh, finally sign on, to see that they're is kind of some substance still to this class after so many guys uh, decommitted. So it's pretty cool to see that these guys are making their dream a reality. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that was one of my, I can't remember. Was it a, it was Tex Ags that you got called Rube, yeah. right? Yeah. God, yeah. No, I just, I just took that and ran with it. And then for you guys that are new to, to the ducks dish podcast or our work over at ducks digest, we have uh we have a killer duo of Dylan's Dylan McKinnon and Dylan Rubin King. So uh, that's kind of how we differentiate. I'm rocking some specs today for those of you guys that can see on the on the on the stream um, because that's what you need to do when you stare at a screen for 12 hours a day when you're working. Um, but just wanted to get that out of the way. And then if you guys are tuned in uh, to the live stream on YouTube, on my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus, thanks so much for tuning in today. Excited to get into today's episode of the pod. Um, go ahead and drop a comment on how you're feeling about day one of the early signing period and how you're feeling about this class. And then if you guys are watching on the replay, go ahead and do the same. Let me know uh, who you're most excited about in this 2022 class. Uh, Ducks signing, I believe it was seven commits here on uh, Wednesday, December 15th to get things going. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, now that that's all out of the way. Welcome to the, the show. Uh, day one, uh, I think it went honestly pretty well for, um, you know, all things considered, if you think about Cristobal leaving to Miami, all the crazy fallout that we saw from that followed that. Um, and then uh, obviously with, with landing, coaching um, the Bulldogs, I don't know. I don't know exactly where he is. I haven't been doing the, the plane tracking um, lately, but I feel like it'd probably be fair to safe to consider uh, to assume that he's back in Georgia, getting the, the Bulldogs ready for uh, their, matchup against Michigan but you know considering that and um how the staff still kind of being built um you know that was another piece of big news today is uh looks like Kenny Dillingham the Florida State offensive coordinator is going to be coming out to take the job at Oregon 
um, and be the next OC first really, really big hire um, as far as, you know, coaches X's and O's on the field for landing in the, uh, you know, the Oregon era. So I kind of went a lot of different, um, different directions there, uh, Dylan, but uh, maybe I that, that was the question I wanted to ask you is how are you feeling, you know, to start to uh, start things off here at the early signing period? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to have a head coach for um, all these signees to kind of talk to, because I know there have been reports that Dan Lanning was communicating with a couple of the guys who signed today, um, especially Anthony Jones, the guy who flipped from Texas today, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, but it's nice that, you know, there's a little bit of coaching staff to be spoken of. I mean, it wasn't completely wiped out. Um, and of course, there are guys that are going to be coming back for the Alamo Bowl. Um, but yeah, I think Dan Lanning's probably back to Athens. I think that game's two weeks from Saturday, I believe. Um, so obviously have have to prepare for that. But at the same time, yeah, it's nice to see that the offensive coordinator job has been filled. Um, I, I do think a lot of people have been kind of talking about it um, as like they're not sure because Florida State, they weren't very good. Um, and they had so many injuries, so many inconsistencies, such a young team. Um, that it's kind of hard to judge, but I do think it's a solid hire. So I'm feeling pretty good about that so far. Yeah, I think that was that was a, a good, uh, you know, item to check off for Dan Lanning. Uh, I think I, I agree with the points that you have um, as far as, you know, people being maybe a little bit skeptical, um, especially with uh, Dillingham being such a, a young guy. Um, but, you know, he's he's garnered legitimate power five interest, uh, you know, since since, you know, rising through the coaching ranks. And I think that that's one of the advantages, one of the advantage ra- advantages rather that I think come with being such a young coach is, is recruiting. I mean, you, you look at Mario Cristobal and, and how well the, the Ducks did when he was here. I think we really learned, if we didn't already know, recruiting is an effort thing. The people who do the best at recruiting just work their tails off. And I think that that's an advantage that we'll have, that we'll see for Oregon with, with such a young staff now, um, at least with, with Lanning and, and Dillingham to start out here. And then the uh, reported extension of uh, Don Johnson, director of player personnel. That was really big. You talk about getting some key pieces in place. Now you have uh, some guys that, that can recruit for you or continue recruiting for you. And then, uh, I mean, I'm sure Landy's just been on the phone 24-7 now uh, since he got the job trying to talk to some of these guys. But, yeah, that's uh, that was kind of some of the big news that, uh, that broke today um, before all the signing stuff started. So I'm kind of thinking that we could go through – go through some of these uh, signees um, and kind of see what things are looking like, you know, have give some of our thoughts on these guys and, and what we think they bring to the table. Uh, and then, you know, field some questions and, and comments as they uh, come up. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. Well, um, how about we just go, I think we can try to go maybe chronologically here um, and, you know, kind of track things for, for Oregon um sir mels was the first signee of the day really really big defensive lineman out of liberty high school in henderson nevada six foot five 327 pounds just an absolute monster in the trenches and i think that he's what encourages me so much about him is that he's one of those body types that you don't find out west i feel like we hear that a lot when we're talking about some of these big time offensive uh defensive linemen rather but he really is and especially when you consider uh, Jason Jones entering the transfer portal, a, a young offensive. Uh, Jesus, I'm getting my sides of the ball mixed up. I got to slow down. Jason Jones, uh, a young defensive lineman for Oregon, who I thought was really coming around, uh, played in every game this season. He entered the transfer portal today. 
Um, so you just look at uh, trying to have someone to, to fill in for him. I think that uh, Sir Mellis could potentially be seeing some some pretty significant reps here. And, and I think he's got some great athleticism for how big of a body uh, he has, that huge frame that he has. And, and I think that you need more guys like him, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because we've seen those huge bodies coming on the offensive side of the ball for quite a while now. Um, but I think that that defensive line depth is, is still a little bit behind the offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think, especially with the news of Jason Jones transferring, I mean, he was such a big body too. So I definitely think signing two defensive tackles with Ben Roberts as well. Um, I think that was huge given that news today, but um, yeah, Sir Mills, I mean, he reminds me of a taller Jordan Scott coming out of high school because um, you just don't see guys pushing that 330 mark. But like you said, like he's super athletic. He, he doesn't really move like he's 330 pounds. I mean, the dude is really athletic. And I think what my favorite thing about him is, is out of probably everybody that signed today, I think he's been the one that's been the most locked in with Oregon since he committed. Like, I don't remember ever seeing him take any other visits, any other um, in-house visits. Like, I don't remember him really even straying away from Oregon whatsoever. And he committed back in June. So I, I love that he's got this energy. He's been bringing, um, you know, the energy toward all those other prospects and commits and uh, it's just been all about Oregon since day one. So I love the energy he brings, and I can't wait to see what he does. And hopefully, you know, right, I hope he does get some playing time, given there's so much youth that's going to be on the defense, especially in the middle um, of that defensive line. Yeah, I think uh, he's one of those guys that that has been super high energy all throughout the recruiting process. Um, you know, I talked to him a couple times, uh, you know, after he decommitted from Washington, and then he was looking like he was really liking Oregon and he was, he was someone that I feel like once he got on campus, that was all it was going to take. And then sure enough, he was the first guy to commit to Oregon once uh, the recruiting dead period ended and they were able to get guys back to Eugene, back in the HDC, uh, back at, at Austin Stadium. And, and that's really what I think, regardless of what staff you have in here, obviously you want a hardworking staff, but at a certain point, you know, depending on what these guys recruitments are looking like, Autzen kind of just does the work, you know, the, the brand sells itself, I feel like. So obviously, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into building those relationships that that can't be understated or undervalued. Um, but I think that was huge for Mel's. And then we already talked about how he, um, you know, really fits the fits the the need. And, um, you know, some of the some of the player styles that we've been seeing in recent years, and I think that that kind of goes along with, you know, Mario laid the blueprint for, for, you know, building an, an SEC type of team and, you know, really building out the roster that way. And I think that Lanyon's going to kind of pick up right where he left off. And, and really at the end of the day, obviously you want to get really solid players, but another big part of it is, is filling the needs on your roster. And I think that's a good way to get started. Yeah. You mentioned kind of an SEC style. I think Sir Mills is definitely a guy that, you know, you'd probably, you probably see a lot of in the SEC, like, especially going to teams like Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, like they always have those just monstrous defensive linemen that end up there. Like you're talking about Jordan Davis, who's what, 340 at Georgia. So I, I do think that, yeah. And he looks every bit of it. Um, but I, I think it's going to be super fun to, to kind of see the, um, you know, the trend of just monstrous defensive linemen that can move and, that offensive linemen have, you know, no business trying to move whatsoever. Um, and Sir Mels is definitely going to be one of those guys. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, the trenches, the focus on the trenches was such a huge thing with Cristobal. Um, and I think that's one thing that 
I was going to miss as soon as Cristobal left. I was like, I, I really hope that that's still an emphasis because, um, you know, the offensive line has been such a strength the last couple of years for this Oregon team. The defensive line has so much promise. I just wanted to keep that, you know, momentum going on both sides. And it looks like so far um, the offensive line, there's only one so far that's signed. Um, I hope they can get Dave Uly in there signed soon as well. Um, and then maybe some other guys like Josh Connerly, if he's, uh, I don't remember seeing if he signed somewhere today, did he? No, I don't believe he did. He's uh, the last I heard about him. I know uh, someone was asking um, in the question, um, sorry, in the comment section uh, about, you know, what, what's, what's it looking like with him? Mm. And uh, it's, it's, he's going to be signing in February. So he's definitely taking his time. Um, and I think that he's someone that the ducks are in a good spot with as far as, you know, having him on campus, you know, he was here uh, recently I can't remember what game it was for, but he was here in Eugene recently. And um, I think that it's a little tough, uh, at least where they're at now, seeing that, um, you know, they don't have an offensive line staff right now. And Cristobal and Mirabal are are obviously moving on. Um, still waiting on confirmation for that Mirabal uh, move. But I feel like it's it's pretty obvious at this point. Um, so I think, yeah, Connerly's, you know, the top, pretty much the top offensive lineman out West. And especially with him being a Pacific Northwest guy, if I'm landing, I think that that's, someone I really want to try to prioritize uh, as things get going here. But uh, at the same time, uh, lucky for him, it looks like he has a little bit more time to work with um, as far as, you know, getting, getting all that going and, and starting that relationship once he, um, once he actually gets to, to Eugene, you know, full time. Yeah. And then, I, Oh my bad. I didn't, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah. I, I definitely just think it's, I was just going to say, I think it's, really important right now to try to keep those specific Northwest guys home, whether it be Washington or Oregon. Um, definitely after they didn't get Darius Clemens, I, they were a lock for him for so long and uh, he ended up going to Michigan. So I think Connolly is definitely the next big guy to come out of the Northwest that they need to, they need to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. We can, before we move on to our next guy, we can talk about Clemens real quick because he's a guy that I, that's a recruitment that I covered for uh, a really long time. And um yeah, I feel like, especially with him being an in-state guy, you you want to be prioritizing those guys and, and keeping the best players uh, within the state's borders. I think the good thing for for Oregon is is that he's not going to a, a Pac-12 school. I mean, that'd be kind of a worst-case scenario. But, I yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And from what I gathered from covering him extensively, uh, he was pretty much, you know, in, in the bag for Oregon. But, you know, things change, obviously, when, when Cristobal went to Miami – uh, and he offered uh, Clemens as well. So he tried to make uh, a push to, to get in the picture with the, with the Hurricanes. And then um, let's see who, what else. And then I think another part of this too that that is uh, honestly playing a really big factor is we don't know uh, about Brian McClendon's coaching future at Oregon. You know, he's the interim head coach right now. Um, but I feel like at this rate, I don't know if we should expect to hear something until after the Alamo bowl, it's, it's just really weird because it's just another element uh, piece of the puzzle for a lot of these recruits that are considering Oregon um, or, or even committed to Oregon that, um, that we, that they don't know what's going on because they don't know, uh, they know who their head coach is going to be now, but they don't know who their positional coach is going to be, which for Oregon now with a lot of these guys, since Mario has gone, uh, those are the people that have really put in a lot of effort building that relationship and, and getting Oregon, um, you know, towards the top of their list or, or sealing the deal and getting the commitment. So I think that that's something that, that really uh, can't be understated right now um, as far as just another piece of, 
Oregon recruiting kind of being in limbo since we we don't know um, McClendon's future just yet. Yeah, you you were talking about it earlier. Like if Cristobal would have stayed, how many of these, you know, decommitments, how many of these guys that are going elsewhere, um, you know, how many would have probably con- gone to Oregon? Like the, the class would have been definitely full. Um, but yeah, I think Brian McClendon's future is huge. Mirrorball, I, I think it's safe to say he's going to Miami. I know I've seen a couple guys who have gone to visits to Miami and they've tagged Mirrorball. So that's kind of um, kind of as official as it gets. But we've we've talked to recruits for a while. Um, you know, my work with recruits was much more in the summer. But you heard so many times where it's like, yeah, I committed here to Eugene because of, you know, Alex Mirabal, because of Brian McClendon, because of Rod Chance. Like that's that they do the majority of the one on one recruiting stuff with, you know, the phone calls and the tour on campus. So that's that's definitely huge to try to get those uh, those spots shored up. So we'll have to wait to see uh, what happens with with McClendon. Um, that's the uh, next question that we kind of have on the screen here. You know, he's asking, Max, do you guys think that Oregon will somehow hold on to Brian McClendon? You know, he's he's definitely, I said this in one of our previous episodes, that I feel like he's got to be the priority from from the last staff. And then you're also looking at Joe Salavea and, and Rod Chance um, as some of the big names that were kind of uh, up in the air right now as far as uh, what what's going on with them and if they're going to be staying in Eugene or uh, if, they're going to be moving on to, to other jobs now. And then Jim Mastro as well. He's another guy you can't forget, Bobby Williams. So um, really, again, just kind of a weird a weird time for, for Oregon football because you have the Alamo Bowl, you have the 2022 class uh, to figure out. But at the same time, since you have a new coach, it's kind of like part of me is like, okay, I just want to get to 2022 and you know see what the roster is going to look like, see what the team's going to be looking like, how the rest of the staff fills out. But uh, you know, a lot of things that, that we still need to, to answer here. How about we talk about Harrison Taggart? What do you think? Yeah, I'm all for it. All right. I'll get his highlights up. Um, I know you said you were watching some film, so we'll throw on some film. Um, but the biggest thing is for me, I feel like, you know, he's a guy who hasn't been committed super long. And I think that it's great to see him uh, stay in the fold, especially with Ken Wilson heading to take over the program at Nevada. But Corner Canyon, let's talk about that school. And uh, in Utah, that's, you know, one of the best, if not the best program I know Orem's a great program in Utah as well. Jackson Powers Johnson uh, also went to Corner Canyon. So, uh, I mean, you just look at the quickness that you see from Taggart and how instinctual he is. And, uh, man, this is uh, looking like another big-time get for Oregon. Yeah, he's got a nose for the football. I mean, he's just as as pure a linebacker as it gets. Um, you know, I could see him uh, down the line being a 100-tackle kind of guy uh, once he gets that spot. I think he's going to be a phenomenal fit for Oregon. The, the thing is, though – and obviously we saw it this year with with how much of a hit their depth took at linebacker was um, just just the youth that they had this year. And guys like Jeffrey Bossa, who was not a linebacker coming in, he stepped in. Keith Brown stepped in. Jackson LaDuke at the end of the year. So I do think that Harrison Taggart could carve out a role for himself. It might be a little bit, um, given how much talent they have. Um, but I think it's exciting that they have someone who, you know, is the all-time leading tackler at Corner Canyon has had so much success there. They won three straight um, state titles, and I think we're one win away from a fourth in his senior year, but they fell short. Um, they lost very, very few games in his career there. So he knows how to win. He knows what it takes to win, at least at the high school level. College is a different animal, but you know he's had Jackson Powers Johnson in his ear, I'm sure, for a long time. They've been pals since uh, elementary school, I think he told me. I talked to Harrison Taggart. I think that was end of July. Uh, about his visit. So 
Um, yeah, they've been pals for a while. He's been hounding him to come to Oregon, and he finally did. And the fact that he he got locked up today was was huge. But yeah, super talented. Like you said, the word you said, instinctual. I, I think that's the best way to describe him. Um, he's just got a nose for the ball, really good eyes, but he doesn't linger too long. Um, and he's just very, very physical. He's not huge. Like he's not Noah Sewell, you know, 260 Justin Flo kind of thing, but he's he's definitely very physical and could really carve himself a role. Absolutely. And you talk about that corner Canyon connection. It's hard to think of a better recruiter on this Oregon team than Jackson Powers Johnson, um, you know, getting that uh, alumni connection. And then even when, when you think about back to when Jackson Powers Johnson was committed to Oregon before he got here, he was still one of the, the vocal recruiters for Oregon and, and definitely helped get some, some big time prospects in the fold for Oregon. Um, so there's a couple guys we wanted to hit off of, but we also are getting some questions here. So, I want to um, I want to get to some of these uh, about kind of what's going on here and see what you guys what's on your guys's mind. Uh, so let's see here. Um, all right, Andrew says I'm so happy Jaleel Tucker signed. Hopefully Florence follows. This is definitely one of the biggest storylines for Oregon uh, coming out of uh, early signing day. Um, because I didn't really expect it. You know, Jaleel Tucker, he, he, um, he stayed committed to Oregon uh, after Jaleel Florence uh, decommitted. And he was saying, um, I think he actually said that he wasn't signing on the 15th. I'm trying to look on, uh, on Twitter right now, but I believe that's what he initially said. Uh, so when I saw that uh, tweet from Oregon football announcing that he had actually signed, um, I thought that was uh, pretty surprising. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, December 9th, he tweeted, I will not be signing December 15th. Here we are on December 15th. And what do you know? He signs. Um, you think about why this this is important for a variety of reasons, right? You're looking at the San Diego pipeline, which has been incredibly fruitful for Oregon and, and very important in um, those California recruiting efforts. The Cali flock, as they uh, like to call it. Um, Lincoln is, is one of the best schools in San Diego. And there's a bunch of other talented guys there. Um you know, Tucker is, is one of the most electric playmakers in the in the country or in, in California. And I know that Florida State was going after him and he wanted to play some wide receiver as well. That's kind of why Florida State was uh, appealing to him in the recruiting process. Um, and maybe with uh, the hits that Oregon's wide receiver depth has taken both on the team and on the recruiting trail, maybe he has a chance to do that now at Oregon. Um, but super, super fast guy. Um, you can never... Uh, overstate the value of having speed, I think. And, you know, he's going against a lot of really talented guys in San Diego. So I think this is super valuable. And then uh, obviously, hopefully this helps uh, seeing him on board, hopefully helps get Jaleel Florence back in the fold for Oregon uh, since he decommitted following Cristobal's departure and uh, took a visit to USC after getting offered. Yeah, because Joel Tucker hasn't been committed for super long either. I think it was at the tail end of the summer where he where he committed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I was super surprised. I think it was like August, late August, but I was very, very surprised, um, when he signed as well. Cause I, I remember seeing that tweet that he wasn't signing, um, and Florence had already decommitted. So I, my hopes honestly were not that high that Jill Tucker at least wouldn't sign today, but I, I thought maybe a decommitment was coming because and there's just been so much movement that kind of involves him. Obviously Cristobal going to Miami. Um, you talked about, you know, California and, um, you know, Stanford's been on the rise. I don't remember if they offered him, but Stanford probably has the top class in the Pac-12 right now. Um, you know, USC is probably going to be the number one before it's all said and done. So 
Um, I was really surprised that he he stayed true, and I'm glad he did because you know watching his film, he is absolutely electric. I mean, he's when I was watching him, I was not sure why he only wanted to be corner. Like, why wouldn't you just why wouldn't you want to be wide receiver and corner? Like, I think he's very very polished at doing both. Uh, he's super fast. He doesn't really look six feet, and he's only six feet, um, and he looks bigger out there as a receiver specifically. But really good hands, super fast, uh, very, very smooth on both sides of the ball. And on defense particularly, I really like his breaking speed, how he can kind of, you know, get into one route and just read the throw, read the pass, and, and just hunt it down and hunt the, hunt the ball carriers down. So I think he's super solid. I, I really want to see him kind of get his chance on both sides or maybe as a returner for Oregon especially if Mikhail Wright, you know, goes to the NFL, I, I think he would get a, a great shot there. But as a corner, I mean, that's a huge area of need. I think he'll be um, in the running potentially to be probably a corner two to start the year next year. Um, but even if they wanted to explore and put him at a receiver, I think he could make a spot for himself there too, because he's as talented and as explosive as anybody that is in this recruiting class right now. Corner, definitely a position to need, like you mentioned, Dylan, uh, especially with the transfer of DJ James, or he entered the transfer portal, so we don't know if he's actually going to be on the move for a fact yet. Um, you know, we, we saw just a couple nights ago, Seven McGee said, said that he was going to enter the portal, and then Lanning talked to him, and then he took his name. He said he wasn't going to be entering the transfer portal, so maybe the window of opportunity is still open there for uh, for Lanning to uh, get DJ James back in the fold, but um, obviously we're seeing some movement there as you would expect with, uh, you know, a program in transition, but now they got a new guy heading the, heading the ship. So, um, I think that, uh, that'll probably help them if they can get some conversations going there and exploring with Ben says there's still the transfer portal also just to fill in some, uh, depth issues. Yeah. Which I think is, is definitely important to, to keep in mind here. You threw out some, uh, some numbers, I think, uh, in your answer to the last question, Dylan, but just to kind of uh, debrief where Oregon stands right now, as far as the the class rankings go, um, in the two four seven composite, they have the number thirty one class in the country, and the number two class in the Pac twelve behind Stanford, which is super bizarre. I don't think I, those words have ever come out of my mouth or that kind of a sentence, just because Stanford's not really known as a recruiting power. But David Shaw looks like he's turning around a little bit. I know that USC got some. Uh, some pretty big commitments today. You look at Zion Branch out of uh, Bishop Gorman. Uh, Fabian Ross was another guy that signed. Uh, so two defensive backs coming out of the Las Vegas area, heading to Los Angeles to pay, play for Lincoln Riley, um, which I believe has the worst class in the Pac-12 right now. But obviously we know that's going to change. So transfer portal, obviously going to be uh, an option for, for Oregon to turn to, depending on how the, the rest of the uh, class you know, kind of uh, shakes out. A uh, question I want to address here, is Cyrus Moss still unsigned? He is. Uh, I talked to Moss last night. Um, he was fresh off his trips to USC and Miami. You talk about a crazy weekend, starting the weekend at USC and Los Angeles, and then flying all the way across the country uh, to, to see Mario Cristobal and his new digs in Coral Gables. And I was asking him, you know, is it kind of weird? You know, you were literally getting recruited by him like a, about a week or so ago. Um, to go to Oregon and then you get to Miami and he's wearing new colors and he's, he was telling me, yeah, you know, it's weird to, to, you know, see him wearing new colors. And now they're, he was saying that the pitch is kind of going from 
be in the next Kevon Thibodeau, to be in the next Greg Rousseau, who went to Miami, or the next Jalen Phillips, who's having a really good fresh uh, rookie year, rather, with the Dolphins. So he's still unsigned, but he's going to be working from a top five of Alabama, Arizona State, Oregon, Miami, and USC. And he's going to be signing on Friday, December 17th, before going public with his announcement uh, at the Adidas All-American Bowl in San Antonio early next year. So I feel like this is a guy that the Ducks really want to try to turn up the heat on, uh, Dylan, especially with uh, Kayvon Thibodeau leaving and, and needing a pass rusher. Yeah, they absolutely need uh, a pass rusher. He's as talented as any that is in the country, honestly, in 2022. Um, he's he's a big body. And I, I think that especially with USC on the rise and with Miami and the whole thing with Cristobal, I think you got to lock him up. I mean, he is his... Uh, I think he's probably priority number one. I think I've said that a couple shows now. Um, and I he, I feel like he's been priority number one for Oregon, even before the whole coaching change, just because, you know, it was assumed that Kayvon was going to be moving on and there wasn't a whole lot of consistent production behind Kayvon off the edge. Um, I do like that they picked up Anthony Jones today because I do think he could fill in at that spot. Braden Swinson's another guy I'm super excited about coming back. But I think with his size and versatility and athleticism, you have to lock down Cyrus Moss. You can't let him go to the Pac-12 with USC or Arizona State, and you can't let him go to Mario Cristobal in Miami. That's definitely a guy that uh, should be target number one. Yeah, exactly. All that, all that's right on. And then to kind of wrap up, uh, you know, my little uh, some nuggets of information here from from my uh, talk with with Moss. You know, he made those trips to USC and Miami hoping to get some clarity, but he told me that I just complicated things for him because he was originally going to sign. Uh, today, I believe on Wednesday, and then now he pushed it back to Friday. So he has a ton to think about. Um, I know that he really likes the the culture that they're uh, that Lincoln Riley's instilling uh, at USC. And then it's really kind of crazy how it's a similar situation with Mario and Miami. How it's two storied programs that have just been they haven't been what they're used to being, uh, and now they're kind of trying. Both their new head coaches are trying to battle back. So. Um, he, he had told me that he hadn't heard from Dan Lanning yet when I talked to him on Tuesday night. So, um, you know, hopefully that changes for the Ducks because he's got to be a priority and and uh, getting you can never have too many edge rushers. And he's just a, a can't miss guy that that they definitely uh, would like to add. But if I had to if I had to make my guess right now, I'd probably say USC leads. Um, but, you know, like I said, uh, he has a lot to think about and, you know, things are getting pretty pretty tough for him as far as the decision goes, but that's what I have to say about Cyrus Moss question from Gary. Thanks for the question, Gary, Max, can you confirm reports out of Baylor of the ducks poaching one of their coaches as a co-defensive coordinator? Uh, I can't confirm that right now, um, but just to get people up to speed, you know, it's looking like uh, Oregon is, is uh, closing in on hiring a uh, Baylor uh, safeties coach and special teams coordinator, uh, Matt Polidge. That's according to a report on Wednesday from Yahoo Sports' Pete Thamel. And uh, it looks like he would be, if he does end up coming to Oregon, he would be a co-defensive coordinator. Um, was able to do a little bit of research on him. I know that uh, there were some questions in the, in the live stream here about kind of what, what we know about him. Um, he has, uh, he's been coaching uh, a lot longer than, um, or maybe not a lot longer, but he's been coaching longer than um, Dillingham has. Uh, I think it was 11 total years is uh, what um, the number that it came out to. And you look at Baylor, uh, Big 12 champions, and Dave Aranda really, I feel like he's built that uh, identity 
in Waco around uh, the defense. So I think that he's obviously done a pretty strong job since uh, being at Baylor. Um, I know that uh, one of their one of their guys that I was writing about. Um, let's see here, uh, running back Treston Ebner uh, was named to four different All American teams as either a returner or an All Purpose player. So he knows. I mean, Oregon special teams weren't that great this year, so I think that he could definitely shed some light there and help them out. And then uh, Baylor also had a, a Jim Thorpe Award finalist um, with uh, Jalen Petrie. So obviously he, he's got those safeties playing at a high level. And, and I think that uh, Oregon's got a lot of talent in that secondary that, that he could really uh, help take to the next level. Well, the other thing that I read about him that I'm surprised that more people haven't talked about on Twitter with those reports is that Pulage actually worked with Dan Lanning at Sam Houston State. That's what um, I thought, I yeah. Think, yeah, I think it was 2014 was the one year um, that Lanning was there. And so uh, Lanning, I believe, was their defensive backs coach. So um, I, I definitely know that Lanning is well aware of Poage's ability to work with defensive backs because I believe Poage was on the defensive back staff, defensive staff there as well. Um, and that was a team that I believe is one win away from winning the FCS championship or going to the championship game. Um, so definitely a lot of success there. He knows him well i'm sure they're still connected so i definitely think that that would be a solid hire baylor's defense was phenomenal the safeties the defensive backs were really really good um if you want to see some tape on how good just how good they were check out the big 12 championship against oklahoma state or their win over oklahoma um absolutely lights out so i definitely think if that is the hire which it's not confirmed yet and those were just reports that kind of fizzled out after this morning i don't know if anything's come since then because everything's just kind of been early signing day since then mm -hmm. um but I, I think he would be a solid hire if he's a co-defensive coordinator it makes me wonder if they would maybe put joe salavea as a co-defensive coordinator if he sticks around or if they try to find another outside hire to kind of combine it I, I i thought that was intriguing that that was the report um but maybe they want to promote somebody from within maybe rod chance joe salavea i'd probably say salavea um, but again, we don't know who's, who's all staying and who's all going for what it's worth. Joe Salave already has the co-defensive coordinator title. So oh, that's right. Um, okay. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what a promotion would look like for him, but you know, obviously he's, he's been one of the strongest, uh, staff members for Oregon, uh, since he came over from Washington state. Um, let's see what else we got here. Yeah, guys, keep the questions coming. Obviously we're, we're keeping this, uh, mostly recruiting focused, uh, because that's the big, uh, the big storylines out of Eugene today on early signing period. But, um, you know, there's some questions about, uh, the staff hire. Cause you know, like we know, uh, it's a bunch of crazy stuff going on all at once. You got the signing period and, and landing, trying to, uh, uh, assemble his staff here at Oregon, but, uh, we'll keep an eye on that chat and see what, uh, what else comes up. But, um, I'd like to get back to talking about some of these guys that signed Dylan, if, uh, you're on board with that. Uh, so we already talked about Sir Mills and um, Harrison Taggart. Um, and we also talked about Jalil Tucker and kind of what he brings to the fold. Uh, I think someone that I'd like to talk about now is Michael Wooten. So let me see if I can bring his highlights up onto my screen and um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we can, what we can get from this. Um, Cause not everybody has the, uh, you know, most, the longest highlights. Sometimes they just chop them into, really quick games, uh, quick clips, I should say. So let me see what I can get here. And then I will share my screen. All right, here we go. So yeah, Michael Wooten, 
He is a six foot six offensive lineman out of Sierra Canyon. He was a guy that I saw um, in person over the summer when I was down in uh, Southern California uh, for Pac-12 Media Day, and it was actually the same day. You know, we had a covered Pac-12 Media Day, uh, you know, from early in the morning until mid afternoon, and then got in the car and drove out to Chatsworth to to see Wooten. And I think Wooten, even though he's not one of the more highly rated guys. Um, he's definitely a guy with a, a ton of upside. I think he, he, he excels in the run game, which is good for Oregon. Uh, you know, run blocking is obviously always something that you want with uh, all the strong running backs that the Ducks have on their roster. Um, but I think it's good for, for Oregon to get him because this is a guy that's battle tested. You know, I wrote a, uh, I you know, was writing a little bit of editing uh, story about him today. And if you're playing, anytime you're playing in the, the Trinity league, you're, you're going to be playing against some, some pretty, pretty elite competition. Uh, out there in uh, Southern California, uh, and that's what you want. You want guys that that are going against um, pretty elite schools, um, and that's always going to be a, a bonus. Um, let me see here. I'm trying to confirm that that's the case because I might I might have jumped the gun there, um, and I'm not sure if he if he is in the the Trinity League. So give me just a second while I check this out here. Maybe it'll tell me what um, what league they're in. Because I know they play a lot of really good teams in, in Southern California, and that was basically the uh, the point I was trying to get at there. Okay, I, I'm not sure about that one. So I'm going to reverse and, you know, fact check myself and say that I need to do a little bit more research on that. But either way, the point still stands that he's going against some really good competition in L.A., and I think um, the nice thing about Oregon is they have a ton of depth on the offensive line already. So he's not, they're not in the situation where uh, he needs to be an immediate contributor. Yeah. And I think it's good that they do have somebody in the fold um, signing today, given, I mean, Kelvin Banks decommitted, went to Texas, Cameron Williams did, Percy Lewis did, I think even before all the coaching changes happened. So it's nice that they do have one, at least Dave Uli is still kind of floating around. I saw some reports, um, that he was still considering other schools. Um, if I had to guess, I, I feel like he's going to stay put. But if he does leave, I feel like he'd probably go to USC. He talked about staying close to home and playing, um, you know, with his family in attendance. And I know Miami was he was talking about Miami. And I just don't think Miami he would go that far, given what he's told me. So um, I really hope they do get Yuli in there as well, because he was talking about being the next Penny Sewell. But, um, you know, Michael Wooten is, is such a physical tackle and I think that at that tackle spot specifically is where they could use a little bit more depth because I know George Moore is probably going to be moving on Mala Sala is going to be moving on to the NFL so um and, and of course he's probably going to be moved he's probably going to get moved around um I wouldn't imagine that that philosophy that Oregon's been running with the offensive line you know kind of cross training and getting him ready to play every different position I don't imagine that goes away entirely so I do expect him to be moved around. I think he moved at a couple of different positions at Sierra Canyon, but very, very physical. Um, I do think you'll have to get a little bit bigger given some of the defensive linemen that are in um, in the Pac-12. I think he's under 300 right now, but very athletic, very under the radar. I don't feel like a lot of people knew much about him going into his recruitment, um, you know, into his decision, but super talented. And I, I like what you said about they don't need him to produce right away. Um, I don't know if he's as polished as some of the other guys they did have, or maybe even Dave Yuli. Um, but I do think that he 
will develop given, you know, the coaching staff that I'm, I'm sure that Lanning will put together. I really wanted Mirabal to stick around for this recruiting class. Um, you know, with Calvin Banks and Cameron Williams, uh, I was super excited for Mirabal to, to coach some of those guys, but we'll have to see. It's going to be, I think for me personally, I think that's going to be the most intriguing coaching move is what they do to replace Alex Mirabal. Cause the dude was just a phenomenal recruiter and a, an incredible coach. Yeah, Mirabal is going to be uh, sorely missed, and he's he's uh, the best in the business, like Cristobal says, and he he obviously is incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to uh, the offensive line. While you were talking, Dylan, I did some fact-checking, and Sierra Canyon plays in the Gold Coast League, uh, where they did win. They were league champs in 2021, so um, I just feel like it wouldn't sit right with me if I was thrown out there that he was in the Journey League when it was the Gold Coast League. Um, but, yeah, so that's what we were talking about. Um, you know, Mark's question here uh, was, is he number 55? He was number 55. Sorry, that wasn't super clear in the, the huddle um, there, but I just wanted to kind of get some of those highlights for you guys. He spent a lot of his time at left tackle, um, but uh, it'll be curious to see if that uh, versatility is still really emphasized by whoever uh, landing brings on. I, w- I would think so. Um, you know, you just want to be able to have those guys to uh, plug and play. Uh Dylan, I know you got to go around 6.15, so I was thinking we could tackle one more guy, uh, if that sounds good to you. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was already 6.10. Yeah, good luck. No, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we've been going for 40 minutes already, and we got a, a pretty good amount of people in here. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun times for sure. But I think the, the guy that I want to talk about next is uh, Devin Jackson from uh, Burke High School in uh, Nebraska. So let's see if I can get his highlights up and then we'll take another look at uh, some questions and we'll kind of just go from there. So let me see here. All right. So yeah, we got Devin Jackson's highlights up on the screen. If you're watching on the live stream. Um, Yeah. So Devin Jackson, where do we, where do we start? Um, Awesome kid. I mean, he, I uh, brought him on the, on the channel, on the podcast. Uh, if you guys didn't watch or listen to that episode, you definitely should. Just talking about growing up in Nebraska, um, what his football journey has been like. Uh, also, a guy with a track background. He's a bit undersized for a linebacker. Uh, you know, he's listed at six two and, and kind of in the two hundred pound range. So I think that um, with with a guy like him, the the biggest challenge is going to be adding to that frame. But you don't want to lose that speed, right? And that was one of the things that we talked about when I spoke with him was. He doesn't want to go into a you know program, a weight program, and and just have a strength and conditioning guy that's just going to add a lot of weight onto him just for the heck of it because he knows that that speed that he has as a track guy is is part of what makes him so special. And I think what makes me so excited about him um, and why it's potentially a bonus that the frame that he has is because I think that it's so difficult to get linebackers that can cover really well, right? You know, Noah Sewell is a tremendous athlete. But I, and so is Justin Flo, but I feel like they, they need to improve on pass coverage. Um, and I think if you have a guy like him, like we saw with, with Jeffrey Bossa, you know, he, he's a di- bit of a different story because he came in as a safety and was forced to move to linebacker because of the depth that they had. But as a result of him being a smaller guy in that linebacker core, he was one of their best coverage guys. And he was one of the biggest success stories of the whole year. So uh, when I look at the tape for, for Devin Jackson, uh, I think that what stands out to me is he's a really explosive guy, flies the ball all the time. He's always involved uh, in the play, and he's a guy that has a, a really high motor. So I don't know if I see a guy who who is necessarily poised to be uh, an early contributor, 
uh, especially when you look at some of the guys that they have back. Jackson LaDuke is starting to get more involved. And then obviously you have your Noah Sewells and your Justin Flows. Uh, Keith Brown also got a pretty decent amount of play time this year. But, um, man, I feel like this is another guy that you can clearly see, uh, you know, what makes him stick out and, and why the staff wanted him so badly. And, and I think he can be a special guy once he uh, has some time to develop here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, TJ Gilbert is another one that um, maybe could kind of get in the fold next year as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that inside linebacker spot, I definitely think you have to be a bit more, um, you have to have a little bit more than 200 pounds. Um, I, I do, I completely agree with what you said about kind of keeping the speed because when his, when that title card came up on his, um, on his huddle there and it said he was a track runner, I was really surprised because you don't hear about a lot of linebackers running track, but at the same time, when you're 6'2", 200, he plays offense as well. Um, saw it on a couple highlights there. He was taking pitches out of the out of the backfield and kind of running in motion. Um, yeah, he's he's a special player. I, he's a special talent. Um, super explosive. I, I love his motor. Got great hands. I think that first one you saw that one-handed pick six, kind of reaching behind him uh, and taking it to the house. So super talented, super explosive. But I want to see if he can kind of make that transition, like we saw from Braden Swinson, where he was kind of undersized, coming off the edge a little bit. And then this year coming in, you heard him talk about, you know, I completely redid my body. I'm a lot bigger, but I'm still fast um, and I can play fast, too. I want to see him kind of make that adjustment. Probably won't be year one going into college, uh, maybe that second year. But he's a guy that I would love to see on special teams, especially because you saw a couple of those where he was blocking kicks, extra points, getting after it on in, uh, punt coverage and kickoff coverage. So uh, super fast guy. I, I, he's a physical tackler. I can't wait to see uh, him in an Oregon uniform because he's, you know, he fits the mold of the Oregon linebackers that they've got. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know if this is a, a good direct comparison, but kind of reminds me maybe a little bit of Troy Dye. You know, he's a guy who yeah. came in, came into Oregon as a safety. Uh, obviously, Jackson isn't in the same position playing a safety, but um, 
just similar play style as far as flying around and, you know, getting a ton of tackles all the time. Uh, and that's what you want out of your linebackers. You want guys that can be tackling machines and, and obviously can, can be good run defenders, which the ducks definitely have in Noah Sewell. Um, I think that they might have to get creative with uh, kind of what happens, uh, you know, looking at, looking for another edge rusher. Cause obviously that's a big question that, that I think we've talked about. So I don't want to get too repetitive here, but um, yeah, we just talked about, you know, some of the things that, that stand out that you uh, kind of want to see in uh, an Oregon linebacker. And, and uh, that's going to be another really important position for Lanning to fill because Kenlin Wilson had those guys playing at a really high level. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see what he can do with that program at Nevada. And I'm, I'm assuming you are too, because I know you're a big Carson Strong guy. Uh, so maybe you had a little bit more vested interest in Nevada than me. Yeah, I definitely think they needed some help on defense. And the Mountain West is such a such a offensive-minded um, conference. So I definitely think that he's going to bring kind of that edge to him. Um, but to go off of the point with the linebacker depth, if I may, um, one thing that I kind of thought about, and I think I've seen a couple people in the comments and on Twitter talking about, is potentially bringing Justin Flo and kind of grooming him as maybe an outside linebacker kind of defensive edge rusher um, position next year, uh, which I definitely think he has the size and the, and the athleticism to do. Um, and you kind of build more room for some of those guys in the middle as well, because you talked about so much depth back there um, in the middle. So I feel like Justin Flo, I feel like he could thrive on, in that role. You saw him do it a little bit in high school too. Um, but I feel like wherever you put him, he's going to, he's going to be a mauler. Uh, but I think to, to kind of let some of the other guys shine as well. Um, you know, maybe that's something that to consider given their lack of depth at the, at the edge. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on what, uh, what Lanning's plan is. I think that's probably something that we won't have a better idea of until spring football even comes around, or maybe after we see what happens with the roster and, and, uh, NFL draft declarations and how the rest of this class shakes out. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a ton of stuff to be excited about with, with Jackson. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that he never wavered in his commitment when Cristobal left. You know, he was saying that I committed to Oregon for, for more than just Mario. And, and it's always great for a, a class to have those kind of guys. You know, there's the, the whole deal with uh, recruiting. You know, you commit to a school, not a coach. But in reality, I feel like, you know, it's a relationships business. That, that's obviously something that um, you know, you don't have to follow recruiting super close to, to, to know about. But when I'm talking to these guys about their uh, journeys through recruitments, uh, a lot of the reason that they make those decisions is because of uh, a coach that they're close with. So, um, yeah, Devin Jackson's uh, another really big addition for Oregon. And then I think we still have uh, Ben Roberts and Anthony Jones to talk about. So I can I can talk about them if, uh, if you had to if you had to head out. But um, just wanted to make sure I didn't keep it too long if you had something you had to do. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to wrap it up um, a little sooner than I usually do, just because I have a lot of other things to take care of, um, double duty, as I like to call it. So, um, but yeah, I'm super excited for what we've seen so far. It's been super exciting. I love that a lot of the defensive players are staying home because I think in the off season that's where you might see the biggest hit to the depth, um, to the organizational chart. So, um, I'm I'm excited that they've got some people that we've got some people to talk about. Um, you know, I wasn't sure how many. Uh, how many people there would be, how many, uh, how much meat was on the bone per se. Um, but it's exciting. And I'm excited to see if there's more people coming soon because today's not the only day people can sign. Um, you might see some people this weekend as well. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, we got to see what happens the rest of this uh, signing period um, because I think it is two more days, the 15th through the 17th. 
Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But uh, Dylan, thanks for thanks for coming on to uh, talk about this. If you, if you guys want to follow Dylan, you can find him at DRK Sports News on Twitter. And he's also doing some awesome stuff at the Transfer Portal uh, with the Transfer Portal. Uh, so I'll stay on and uh, talk about the rest of these signees and then take some of your guys' questions. But we'll uh, we'll bid uh, Dylan farewell for this episode. All right. See you all. Thanks, Max. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you, Dylan. All right. So just me now. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll st- roll right along. Uh, the show must go on, even if it's just me. Uh, but we'll talk about Ben Roberts, a uh, big-time defensive lineman coming out of East High School in Salt Lake City. Uh, Salt Lake City, man. I mean, Salt Lake City has been such a strong, uh, or sorry, Utah, I should say rather, has been such a strong producer of of trench talent uh, these past couple of years. Um, I think that when you're looking at, you know, we were talking about Sir Mel as being a guy that uh, Oregon really needed because he wanted to bring those SEC style SEC body types to the Pac-12. That was something that Mario Cristobal made such a priority. But that doesn't mean that you, you know, skim over the guys that are closer to you in, in your backyard. Uh, you think of guys like Siaki Aika, uh, who I believe is, is with Baylor now. He was another big-time defensive lineman that uh, I was surprised Oregon didn't land when he was coming out of high school. But he also went to East High School in, uh, in Utah. So um, we have Harrison Taggart uh, as a guy who's coming from uh, Utah at Corner Canyon, signing with Oregon. But Ben Roberts, I mean, he, he's a guy that... He's, he's pretty big. Uh, I'm, I believe he's 6'3", 290 in that range. Let me see if I can um, if I can confirm that here because uh, you obviously want to get – if you can get a guy that's almost around 300 pounds coming in to, to high school – or sorry, into college, I think that's a tremendous advantage, and he's only going to be able to refine his body. So 6'4", 290 is what he's listed at. But just to talk about kind of some of the things that stand out to me, uh, he's got a nose for the football, obviously – uh, you see here with him, you know, recovering that fumble and he just bull rushes a lot of guys and he's got a lot of quickness, I think, for how big he is, which is, I think, such a common trait on both sides of the ball. When you're looking at what makes these guys uh, unique, excuse me, whether it be on the offensive line or the defensive line, I feel like so often I'll hear, you know, guys like this, guys this big shouldn't move this well or this quickly. And you can definitely see that quickness with Roberts. Uh, this is these are his junior highlights because that's the most uh, up to date ones we could find on Huddle, but really good at, at engaging his blockers and, and getting off of them. Um, gosh, sometimes I get really animated when I'm doing these uh, when I'm breaking down film, but I just get excited about it all. Um, so yeah, we're talking more Ben Roberts, and then look at Utah as a as kind of a pipeline state for Oregon. Uh, you talk about how important it is for, if you want to win the Pac-12, you got to win the West Coast and get some of the best guys out of that region. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. Obviously, a guy that they've added coming out of Corner Canyon. And then you have Jeffrey Bossa, who got a lot of time as a true freshman this season out of uh, Kearns High School, I believe it was. Uh, so that's another big school in uh, the Salt Lake area. And then you, how can you not talk about Orem? You know, bringing a, uh, Noah Sewell. And then, um, oh, shoot, I was trying to think of what school Panay went to. Um, I want to say it was Desert Oak or Desert City, something like that. Um, but I think, I think that, uh, yeah, just, I was just, just goes to my point about how strong of a, of a state Utah is and how, how big of a pipeline it's been for the ducks. So with Roberts here, uh, we have a question, uh, he plays a lot of end here, but should we expect him to kick in at the next level? Um, I think you could, you could see that, um, that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to be interested to see. 
um, is is uh, how the the line is going to shake out for for Oregon, especially on that end position. You know, you look at a guy like Brendan Dorless. Uh, is he? We don't know what's happening with him as far as if he's coming back next year or not, because he's definitely had his best uh, season so far. And then you have Trevin Maia, uh, who was playing pretty well at, at that uh, uh, on the edge for Oregon and at that outside linebacker spot. And then you're also looking at Adrian Jackson uh, as a guy who was working at linebacker, so he's not so much um, uh, at the uh, defensive line. But I think given his body type uh, seam, uh, I think that it would definitely make sense to uh, to maybe think that he would probably go in. But if he's athletic enough and if uh, they can get him moving, if he's moving the way that they want him to, then I think that that would be a, a big advantage for them if uh, they did want to have that versatility like we saw with Dorless this year, right? You know, he moved inside and played some outside. And um, they have some pretty solid players on the interior already with uh, Popo Amavai and um, Keonwer Hudson, who was uh, a little bit banged up to end the regular season. But I have one more, one more guy uh, that I wanted to talk about here. Kind of the, uh, the big uh, commit of the day, right? It was kind of the fireworks. Um, Anthony Jones, uh, jumbo athlete, defensive line, tight end guy uh, off the edge uh, out of Liberty high school. He's a teammate of uh, Sir Mel's who is a Oregon 2022 defensive line signee. So let me see if I can uh, pull up some of his recent highlights and um, let's just take it from there. All right. So let's see. Let me get the, the highlights up here. Um, let's see. Here we go. All right. Anthony Jones, uh, Liberty High School, 6'5", 240. Uh, he was the big uh, flip of the day. The Ducks flipped him from Texas to Oregon. On signing day, he signed with the Ducks, and I think this was a, a pretty big uh, pickup for them because you look at Nevada as a state, they're putting out a lot of really uh, elite guys uh, year after year, I feel like, and uh, Jones is a guy who's been pretty high on Oregon for a while. Uh, you know, I thought that Oregon was in the lead when he decommitted from uh, Washington uh, a while back in the recruiting process. Side note, I tweeted this out a while ago. Um, earlier today from the Ducks Digest Twitter, but three of Oregon's seven signees today were former former Washington commits. Anthony Jones was a Washington commit at one point. Sir Mellis was a Washington commit uh, at one point. Uh, and then Ben Roberts was also a Washington commit. So uh, it's just kind of funny. I know that Oregon fans always like to give UW fans a hard time. But you, you, see, you see on the tape here, uh, Anthony Jones, just how, how he's having a really, really good impact on, um, the defensive line and, you know, just pushing guys around, but he, al he also has really good hands for, for a guy at his size, you know, he, he can jump, he can, he can run, he can block. So, um, I think that these jumbo athletes are always really interesting because, um, you, you just have options, you know, very few people actually play both sides of the ball, uh, at the college level. We saw that a little bit with DJ Johnson this year. Um, when the Ducks were pretty pretty uh, thin on uh, the defensive line, uh, defensive end, I should say, when Kayvon Thibodeau went down, and then we saw DJ Johnson come in and play there. And then um, the Ducks have a lot of depth at tight end, right? You look at Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavau, um, Spencer Webb, and then DJ Johnson. You know, those are some of the guys that that the roster could be uh, that we could be seeing on the roster next year. Um, and yeah, Jones is, is definitely a, a special talent that I think uh, they're really excited about. You know, he's a, he's a strong tackler. 
Um, and he's good at uh, not over pursuing. I feel like that's another thing that is really important when you're looking at guys that play at the line of scrimmage and how the ducks have been a little bit hot and cold. I feel like really on the, on the, the pass rushing, you know, spectrum is it's, it sucks to, to get, to beat your assignment. And then if you just over penetrate, then you can't, you can't get the sack and finish the job. So I think that's another thing I'm going to be looking for here to see how he does, but look at how fast he is. If you're watching the film here on the, the live stream, um, you know, for, for him to, to be able to carry that. And they're even flexing him out wide here to just play him as a, as a jump ball receiver. He's, he's a special talent for sure. He's someone that you should be excited about. No question about it. Um, and, I think another part is that I'm going to be curious to see is I don't know uh, how many of the guys that signed today are going to be enrolling early. That's probably the next biggest uh, thing that we have to see apart from how the rest of the class finishes out, but who's going to ultimately sign early uh, from this batch of recruits that uh, the Ducks were able to secure signatures from today with their national letters of intent. But uh, another side note with, uh, we were talking about Sir Mellis to start and then obviously ending here with uh, his teammate, Anthony Jones. It definitely doesn't hurt that they're uh, with their efforts uh, with Cyrus Moss being another Nevada guy. I think another uh, kind of side note with Cyrus Moss that we can talk about is when he was on that official visit uh, to USC this past weekend is that he took that trip with a lot of uh, his Bishop Gorman uh, teammates, you know, Zion branch committed today. And then Fabian Ross was there. Um, I'm trying to think of who else that they have. Um, from Bishop Gorman, but I think that's obviously going to help USC recruiting him. Um, and, and I think USC is in a pretty good spot with, with him, but uh, ultimately that's why you have to watch how these things all play out and pan out, I should say. But those are kind of, I just wanted to give a little bit of a breakdown of, of who all of these guys were that, that Oregon signed here in the 2022 class to start off early signing period. I think ultimately, like I said earlier, it was a, a better day than, than we really expected. I think that you really, um, you've got to be really happy with, um, with how, sorry, with Jaleel Tucker, uh, that Jaleel Tucker signing is huge. He's definitely one of the top guys in California and, uh, and it's huge that they were able to lock him in because I think he's a guy that you're maybe a little bit more confident in contributing a little bit earlier in his college career. Um, but let's see what other questions we have, and then we'll uh, wind down here on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. So let's see what we got here, folks. Um, let's see. Mark has a question here. Mark, thanks for your question. Do we have any idea who our strength coach will be? What running backs are expected back? Yeah, this is a, a little bit of a two-parter. I think the first part is a little bit more uncertain. There have been some, some rumors and reports of, of Aaron Feld going to Miami. So um, we still haven't seen any candidates right now for uh, strength coaches at Oregon should Feld ultimately end up leaving. Uh, again, I'm not reporting that. Um, it's just something that we're waiting to see if it's finalized, but there has been some chatter out there that he would be following Mario to Miami. You think about him being a Georgia guy originally uh, he's got ties out there and it makes a lot of sense for him to, to be closer to home. So we got to wait and see. That's kind of what we're, we're looking like. Uh, I tried to get that information out to you guys as, as soon as we hear uh, someone who might be looking like a candidate for Oregon. Um, and then what running backs are expected back? This is a, a, a really fascinating question because everybody on the roster right now, I believe, has more eligibility to play in the 2022 season if they wanted to. CJ Verdell obviously had that season-ending injury against Stanford earlier in the 2021 season, but 
I think with just how much tread he has on his tires, he's played at a pretty high level since he's been at Oregon. Uh, I think this is probably his best shot to uh, try to get drafted. And, and I think that it would probably make sense for him to try to go to the NFL, but I don't want to speculate too much. Um, and then Travis dies kind of a wild card. He's had a really good season. Um, he had a good season, even in the pandemic shortened year in 2020, right? You know, he was one of the, I think he might've been the team's leading receiver. If I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly, but he's a guy who just always makes the most of his opportunities and, and really shined as, as Oregon's lead back the rest of the season down the stretch after, um, after Verdell got hurt. But then you're looking at Sean dollars. You're looking at Byron Cart. We have hardly seen any of Sean dollars this season. Um, I actually don't think we've seen him at all. Now that I say that out loud, um, you know, you look at him getting hurt, uh, before fall camp and, um, he's a guy who, who I think I'm really excited to see because he, he looked good in the 2020 season, especially in the Pac-12 championship game. And then we hardly saw him at all in the Fiesta Bowl against Iowa state. So Carbo's going to be back. And then, uh, we have dollars and McGee is going to be back and Trey Benson as well. So that's a really, really crowded running back room, but that's kind of what the, uh, what the depth is looking like right now. Uh, Shamar asked, bro, who is Dylan? Uh, yeah, Dylan was Dylan Rubin King was the, the other host um, here the in the first half of the show. He's another writer for me at uh, Ducks Digest, and he does a lot of awesome stuff. Um, but he's usually on here with me a lot. So, um, yeah, that's Dylan. Uh, and then we have, let's see, um, what other questions that we have? Uh, Tim Anachi, let's see, his question is, now that the transfer portal is so huge with experienced talent, do you see teams reducing high school recruits and adding transfer spots like Dana Altman does? And how would that change the team's entire strategy? Great question, Tim, Tim Anachi. Uh, I think for, for Oregon, really, uh, I mean, I kind of want to just take an Oregon angle on this question. I think that you still want to prioritize the recruiting trail um, because that's just, uh, you got to keep recruiting and you want to bring in some of the best guys from the high school ranks. I feel like the transfer portal is kind of viewed as a backup option for, for some schools, uh, some programs. When you look at Oregon, obviously with this 2022 class, I think we have to temper expectations a little bit, um, just given the time of the coaching transition. But that said, I think that they can go to the transfer portal to to make up for some of the to plug in some of the holes that they might still have uh, when the 2022 class, uh, the recruiting classes are, um, are are kind of winding down. So um, I don't know if, I, if I'd say I see a lot of teams doing it overall. You know, it's, it's really specific to each team's situation. You know, if you're a really good recruiting team, then then maybe you don't need to go into the transfer portal. But if you're not a team like Oregon that typically lands a lot of high-end recruits then maybe you find yourself going into the transfer portal. So um, I'd say for, for that one, I would, for that one, I would say it's uh, kind of specific to uh, each team. Uh, another question is, are we going to target a QB in the transfer portal? Um, there hasn't been any reports right now. Uh, I think that they would be wise to just because they have a lot of youth in that quarterback room. Um, so it would be nice for them to have someone who's a little bit more experienced in case somebody gets hurt, for example, um, you know, uh, whether it's Thompson or Butterfield or Ashford who, who wins the starting job next year or is currently poised to be the starting quarterback next year. I think you just want to, you can help yourself by having a little bit more of a proven guy uh, in that room if someone were to go down. So I think that they probably should target somebody in the transfer portal. You're looking at got names like Dylan Gabriel, from uh, UCF, I think he took visits to Ole Miss and UCLA, so I'm not sure how realistic that is for Oregon right now. But 
with uh, Kenny Dillingham, I think someone with him coming to Oregon, I think someone to watch is Bo Nix, who recently entered the transfer portal because Kenny Dillingham was on that Auburn staff when Bo Nix and Auburn beat Oregon in 2019. And that was one of the stronger seasons that Bo Nix had at Auburn. So maybe they there's a little bit of a reunion there uh, in, in Eugene. But so those are some of the names that I'm looking at right now. Um, Michael Penix just went to UW. So obviously that's not an option for Oregon, but that's some transfer portal quarterback news. Dwayne's question. So we only got seven signed today or did we get more? Yeah. So that's the latest that we're hearing as of this show recording uh, six, about six 30 on Wednesday night, uh, seven signed letters of intent for the ducks. Uh, but they do have uh, 12 total commits right now in this class. Um, so we're still waiting to see what happens. The biggest name right now is uh, Teteroa McMillan, uh, all American wide receiver out of Servite high school in Anaheim, California. There were actually new reports coming out today on Wednesday that um, he's going to be signing on Friday uh, and that that's going to be his decision is going to be between Oregon and Arizona, which is kind of interesting to hear because his final three was Oregon, Arizona and USC. And obviously when you got a guy like Lincoln Riley coming in at USC, I feel like he'd uh, be a pretty big threat to get any really big time skill guys out of LA. But you have to consider that Arizona is going to be the future home of uh, T-Max quarterback, one of his best friends, uh, Noah Fafita. And man, that guy's a gamer. I stopped by Servite over the summer and I uh, got to see him in person. And he's just, he just tore it up in, in Trinity League. And I know that he's kind of a, a, a smaller quarterback, but he is just a, a fierce competitor. And he's a solid, solid quarterback that I think um, could really make some noise in the Pac-12. So uh, it sounds like it's Oregon versus Arizona for that one to uh, see what's going on there. And then uh, Dylan was talking about Dave Uly, uh, Washington lineman. Um, you know, I feel like since USC was a big competitor for him down the line in his recruitment, that that would be someone to watch for. Um, so that's kind of what we're hearing, Dwayne. Seven signed letters today, but they do have more commits. Uh, and that's why I think it's a good thing that a lot of these guys, if they are committed but didn't sign today, I think that kind of keeps the window open for Oregon to uh, get in there and, and start that um, – start that relationship because obviously that's a, a, a big, uh, a big, uh, you gotta get those relationships going. Let's see. What else do we have here? <clears throat> All right. Breezy's question is now that we took Kenny from forest state, do you think we're in good standing with landing Kevin Coleman? That's really interesting. Um, because I do feel like before Oregon kind of emerged more in the summer for Kevin Coleman, I think that, uh, it was really looking like Florida state was in the driver's seat. Right. Uh, I feel like that was one of the only trips that he took. He was posting about them pretty frequently. Um, but you look at, at, uh, Dillingham and he's a, a tireless recruiter. He's, he's a young guy and we're hearing a lot of good things there. Hopefully he's going to be an innovative guy. I think that that would probably, um, probably be a plus for, for them. The, the biggest thing for me, when it looks, when you're looking at any wide receiver in this 2022 class, you've got to see what happens with Brian McClendon because he's uh, one of the strongest recruiters on this staff and he's going to play a pivotal role in, in any wide receiver uh, coming to Oregon uh, ultimately. So I think that that's going to, that's going to be what we have to watch here uh, going forward. Uh, let's see what other questions do we have here? Um, let's see. Here it comes. 
Yeah, Shamar's comment here is when February comes, Dan's going to recruit his butt off. I think it might even be before that. Um, I talked about why it would, for Oregon fans, if you're an Oregon fan, maybe you guys can put this in the comments. Are you rooting for Georgia because you want to see Dan do well, or are you rooting against Georgia because you want him to be available to, you know, hit the recruiting trail and get to work building this Oregon team? Um, I think that that'll be, that'll be kind of uh, fascinating to follow because I can understand why you want to see him do well, but obviously with the timing of all this, I think it's a, it's pretty tough. Um, So you're looking at Bama, Georgia, Michigan, and Cincy. Uh, I don't know if I'm the only person that would think this, but it'd be nice to see a Georgia Bama rematch just so we don't get that again. Sorry, in the first round rather in the semifinals so that we don't see that again for a national championship game. Um, But maybe, but obviously that's not going to happen. It's going to be Georgia, Michigan, and then Bama, Cincy. So right on with that. Randy Payne, Go dogs from Tifton, Georgia. Randy, thanks for tuning into the show. We've been getting some Georgia fans in uh, in some of these shows lately because obviously Dan Lanning's a Georgia guy and he's taking over the program. So I think that uh, it's cool just to see the reach that the podcast has, that the the live show has, um, and it's just super cool to uh, to be able to do that. So shout out to Randy for uh, hopping in the show. Um, Chris Nelson, twenty twenty three is what we build in. Um, yeah, 2023 is definitely going to be, uh, well, actually, okay, if this is the Chris from my uh, my master's program in Oregon, I, it might be. What's going on, Chris? Uh, thanks for tuning into the show. Um, yeah, 2023 is going to, because you think about the the whole dynamic of everything with, uh, um, with recruiting, this 2022 class isn't going to be Dan Lanning's. A lot of these guys are going to be Mario Cristobal's recruits, and then that 2023 class is going to be the first one of fully compromised of uh, fully comprised rather of Dan Lanning recruits. So that was what was tough. I feel like um, what was tough about the departure with Mario is I feel like the 2022 class was, was awesome, but they were so close to pushing the head into that upper tier in 2023. Um, but obviously now that you're in transition, you got to focus on the 2022 class. So, I think that's one of the the big things to kind of keep in mind when you're looking at where Oregon is as far as pushing into their, uh, you know, pushing for another level of elite recruiters. You know, the Georgias, the Notre Dames, the Oklahomas, schools like that that are uh, already into 2023 because they did such a great job in 22. The Texas A&Ms, you know, they had a phenomenal haul um, in the 2022 class. So that was a uh, that was what I had to say about 2023. Thanks for the comment, Chris. Um, Sam Kim, after today, what are the biggest needs slash losses position group wise? Uh, for me, I definitely feel like you got to keep prioritizing defensive line, even though you only have two offensive linemen in the fold right now with uh, Wooten and Yuli. Uh, I think that uh, that's kind of an area that the Ducks have been a little bit um, behind on. I feel like recruiting is in the defensive line. And that's not to say that they don't have solid guys on the roster because they definitely do, but you can never have too many guys in the defensive line, especially if, if there's one big lesson that we learned from the Mario Cristobal era, it's that you win the game in the trenches. Um, I mean, maybe that doesn't mean running the ball, um, you know, all the time, but you got to have bodies in the trenches and that's what all the best teams in the country do. So I say the defensive line is really big. Cornerback is another one that I think is really important. That's why I think that they got to prioritize getting uh, Jaleel Florence back in the fold because we don't know what's going on with Mikhail Wright, if he's going to be coming back uh, next year or not. And then DJ James is in the portal, like we said. So um, 
you know, luckily for the Ducks, Triquiz Bridges got a lot of burn this year. Uh, so did uh, Dante Manning. But if, if Mikel Wright goes off to uh, test NFL waters, you just have a really, really young cornerback group. So I think that you need to keep going after those guys. And then another one is wide receiver as a whole, I'd say, is, is very important. But speed at wide receiver. Um, you know, a, a guy that I always think about is Isaiah Satania, who is a former Oregon commit. And then he ended up signing with Arkansas today after flipping uh, a while ago um, before Cristobal even left, actually, if I remember that correctly. But you got to get speed at wide receiver or at least take those swings. Um, you know, Oregon was was in it down to the wire with uh, for Jalen Waddell when when he was coming out of high school. Um, you know, those are really hard battles to win, obviously, especially with, with Texas. Now the Ducks have some work to do to get established there again, but yeah, I'd say defensive line, uh, cornerback and wide receiver are some of the biggest ones that stick out to me. And then quarterback was another position that got asked about, uh, earlier in the, in the live stream. Um, but I think that obviously with Tanner Bailey, uh, backing off his commitment, uh, I don't know if he's a guy that they can maybe get back in the fold. Um, they already have some, some pretty talented guys on the roster, but they're all freshmen and we don't really know what we have from them. We, we saw, you know, limited action with those guys, uh, in the spring, spring practice and throughout fall camp. And then we've seen one half of, of Ty Thompson and that Stony Brook game when Anthony Brown got hurt. So, um, you know, I say that they need to go for quarterbacks, but that's not an indictment to the guys on the roster. It's just, you got to give yourself options at the end of the day and put yourself in a, in a good position to win. All right, let's see here. Um, okay, can confirm that Chris Nelson's not the the same the one that I was talking about in my Oregon program. Um, let's see, yeah, and then Breezy's talking about. He says our wide receiver room is loaded with young talent. It definitely is. It absolutely is. But I think when you're looking at at some of the guys that left, you're looking at Michael Pittman who transferred. Uh, they're going to lose Johnny Johnson. They're going to lose Jalen Red. Um, you just got to stack options. You got to, you got to give yourself as many offensive weapons as you can. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for guys like a Troy Franklin or a Dante Thornton. We didn't really even see Isaiah Brevard. Um, but I think that when you look at the guys that, uh, they lost in this, um, recruiting class, um, with, uh, Nicholas Anderson backing off his commitment and Isaiah Satania, I think you've got to try to keep going for wide receivers, uh, especially if the Ducks do end up airing the ball out some more. Um, it's it's going to be a little tough, I feel like, for them to recruit just because you look look at the, the way that the Ducks have played these past two years. The passing attack has, has not been particularly effective, and it hasn't really been an emphasis even. So I feel like even though it's, it's tough to see Mario Cristobal go, I feel like the offense kind of needed a reset. You needed to, to find uh, – you want to see an offense that is a little bit more balanced and landing has said that they're going to air it out. Chris Hudson is also oh, awesome. Uh, he did, he's done really well. Um, breezy. I can't believe I forgot to mention him. I mean, you look at those games against Utah and he was just balling out. I feel like, you know, when, when the game was really ugly at times, I feel like he was one of the only bright spots. Oh, Devin Williams too. Gosh, how could I not mention Devin Williams? Uh, he's another guy that I think is going to be really, really critical for Oregon to get the ball to next year because once he got the ball this year, uh, a lot of good things happened. So, um, yeah, I think that that wide that's kind of my my reasoning behind uh, why I think they need to get more wide receivers. Uh, you can never have too many. Uh, better to have too many than not enough at wide receiver. Um, and yeah, we got to see what happens with uh, T Mac and then Stephon Johnson as well. He's the only guy they have in Texas now. 
Uh, Colin Jones, his question, LaMichael James, running back coach. I think he's talking about the the tweet that went out earlier today. Just someone was saying, I'd like to see LaMichael James as a running back coach. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, having a, a former Duck uh, man in the running backs, that'd be awesome. Um, I think that uh, that'd be something something to see for sure. Uh, and it's cool to see guys kind of giving back to the program like that and, um, you know, coming in to, to lead the running backs. So we got to, that's just so hard. I feel like answering these questions because we don't know what the staff's going to look like right now. That's the the biggest thing that they really have to prioritize is, um, is getting more people kind of figured out, but I don't know if that's going to have to wait until after the bowl game or if we can, um, you know, see, see that getting wrapped up before then. Um, let's see. Um, all right. I'm going to take one more question and then I think I'm going to head out because we're almost at an hour and a half and this has been an awesome show. Um, let's see. But, um, yeah, I don't, I think that, uh, it's a, a successful day one of uh, early signing period for, for Oregon. Like I said, I think it went better than uh, a lot of people thought, better than I was expecting. Obviously, the big news of uh, Anthony Jones flipping his commitment from Texas to Oregon was a huge win. Um, gotta gotta get that staff figured out so that um, so that they can get more people recruiting. The the more people that uh, Landing obviously gets on staff, then the better uh, because he's going to be doing stuff with Georgia. But he's also said that he doesn't want to rush these hires, and I don't blame him. Uh, this is his first head coaching gig. You think he wants to run, rush the hires and? and not get the, uh, the right guy. Um, I think that's going to be huge for, um, for them. So, um, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but, um, yeah, Jonathan, you just joined Paul. apologize that the timing didn't work out, but, um, appreciate you guys, uh, coming to look at the show. If you're still watching on the YouTube live stream, do me a huge favor. Just take a second out of your day and subscribe to the channel, please. Uh, it's a tremendous help. And it really helps me keep doing my thing, covering the ducks for you guys and bringing you all the organ content you love. And it's free. So uh, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel. That's uh, the only favor that I ask out of you guys. And then stay locked in to uh, the social media, right? You can find me on uh, Twitter, that name on your screen, at mtourissports, covering the ducks all day, every day. And then we also have our other um, platforms, obviously YouTube, Oregon Football, Max Taurus, and then... Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we're at Ducks Digest. So day one of the early signing period for Oregon figures to be the most eventful uh, for the Ducks, but um, that's why we got to follow everything and see how it all shakes out. But that'll do it for me. Thanks, you guys, so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. We will see you in the next one. Everybody, take care.